Welcome back to the Lynx Golf Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Graylin Loomis, and I'm joined, as always, by co-host Ian Kreitzer. Ian, we're no longer on a trip. Our, our last couple episodes have uh, been on the road. We're back in the office. So now that you're back in the office, how are you doing? I, I'm, I'm doing well. Kind of daydreaming about Myrtle and Bandon, but uh, that's kind of the, the byproduct of, of travel. You gotta, it's got to stop at some point, right? Exactly. <laughs> Somebody's got to get back in the office and uh, <laughs> catch up on work. Do some actual real work. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So today we're doing a version two or part two, really, of one of my favorite things we've done on the podcast, which is getting listener questions in and um, specifically kind of aiming for questions that people are embarrassed to ask their golf buddies or don't want to ask their friends, things that they don't know uh, the answer to, but they might not want to appear you know, ignorant about. So I think it'll be an interesting episode. I know you have some questions that you received and I have some just for those listening. I do want to say we um, put out a call on social media uh, asking for these questions and, and we got a really good response. Uh, but if you have questions you want to add, you can send them to us. We're at Links Magazine everywhere on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, and you can also email us questions at letters at linksmagazine.com. So with that, Ian, let's just jump right into it. Go ahead it. and throw out your first uh, first question you received. Yeah, so this one's kind of an interesting one um, and one that uh, I, I kind of think is, is a common question that a lot of people ask. So um, does anyone actually play by the rules? My buddies play ball up, no re for OB, etc., um, I think, you know, casual rounds, I, I know that I just go out there to have fun, man. I'm not, I know we, we kind of do the same thing, except for there's a, a big money game on the line between <laughs> you and me. <laughs> Usually a dollar or two. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but how, how would you answer that just as far as, um, you know, it really depends on the group, I think, too. I think it depends on the group and it depends on what your goals are in golf. You know, I, I think a good way to, to answer that is, um, if you have the goal of playing in tournaments or events, and, and I, I don't even mean formal events uh, that are like USGA events or something. I mean club events where you need to um, present a handicap. Um, right. Then you really ought to be playing by the rules and, and in their strictest sense so that your handicap is reflective of your actual game. Um, right. You know, if you then go into a tournament and hit one OB or hit a couple OB and you have to play stroke and distance and um, all of a sudden you're thinking, man, alive, I'm not playing down to that, you know, five handicap that, that I said I was. Um, it's not fun for you. It's not fair to your competitors. Um, so that would be one way to look at it. Another way would be if you have no intention of doing that and you just want to go out and have, you know, a good time with your buddies. Um then I, I think adopting some quote unquote local rules, you know, within your group, uh, right. you know, <clears throat> no problem with that. It's just a matter of making sure that everybody you're playing with understands those rules. And yeah, and I, I think uh, on any given day that we go out there, Ian, including some of our rounds in Myrtle Beach recently, uh, we played a couple OB balls just as kind of a lateral hazard to keep pace of play going and. You know, we didn't know the courses very well, so we were out there kind of, we weren't sure if an area was OB. And in those cases, right. if we'd been playing 
with the strictest rules, we would have hit a provisional. And instead we said, ah, if we get up there and you don't find it, just play it as a lateral. And, and yeah. I, I think a lot of golfers end up doing that. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. And especially those casual rounds, um, you know, buddies rounds, as long as everyone is in agreement on what the rules are there, I think that that's really up to, up to, uh, the, the group. Um, yeah, totally agree there. Agreed. Um, so, uh, so what's your first question that you got asked? Well, it's another rules-based question, and you know this is a golf travel podcast, but um, playing golf and knowing the rules is, is part of travel and playing the game. So uh, it started with golf question I'm embarrassed to ask. I still don't understand the difference between yellow and red stakes and how the drop rules differ. And really the, that question is, is surrounding water hazards, and people, uh, anyone who plays golf will have seen there are water hazards uh, that are marked with yellow stakes or yellow paint or red stakes and red paint. Um, it's really the difference between uh, a water hazard and what can often be referred to as a lateral hazard. So I'll just run through it really quickly. A water hazard marked with yellow stakes is typically what you'll find on, for instance, a part three with a lake or a hole where the water hazard crosses um, the hole. And I mean, not a creek running alongside the hole, but where there's a lake or something where you're having to carry it over uh, the water. And the reason I mention that so specifically <clears throat> is because it, it has to do with the drops. <clears throat> Excuse me. So in all cases, with all water hazards, you take a one-shot penalty. Um, but with those yellow hazards, <clears throat> you have options um, that you don't have with a red hazard. So with a yellow you can drop nearest the point where your last stroke was played. Um, so if you hit it in the lake, you can play again from that location. And if you're on a tee box, you have the option to re-tee. Um, alternatively, you can identify the spot where your ball crossed the line of the hazard, and you can drop where it entered or anywhere on the line between the pen and where it entered. So you draw a line between the pen and where it entered and you can go back as far as you want on that line. Or alternatively, a third option, you can go to a drop zone. If the course doesn't have a drop zone, then you really have to go with option one or two. So playing again from where you hit that ball or dropping where the ball crossed the hazard line or anywhere on the line between the pen and where it crossed. A water hazard right. with red stakes is you know that lateral hazard and and it's actually quite a bit simpler i think um basically you have one main option and you have to drop the ball within two club lengths of where your ball crossed the hazard line and went into the water and if you think about that the red hazards think about it almost like a creek running up alongside a hole you you know determine to the best of your ability where your ball entered the creek and you have two club lengths to drop from there. So I, I hope that helps the the asker of that question. Um, it's you know we, in all cases don't refer to me next time you you play in a tournament. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know get a USGA rules book. Um, they have like that little handy pocket size. Um, yeah. But I would suggest checking that out and trying to um, keep that handy in case you ever need it. But generally speaking, you have more options with yellow, um, fewer options with red, with red drop within two club links of where it entered. 
Right. Yeah. And, and admittedly, I'm not uh, I'm not as well versed in the rules of golf as you are because you've played a lot more competitively um, than me. But uh, that's that's definitely helpful in, uh, knowledge for whenever, you know, especially a, a competitive round, even one between buddies, you know, and you want to kind of keep everything uh, even and, and fair and play relatively by the rules. So really, really helpful there for sure. Take me on another question that you got. Yeah. Yeah. So um, this is kind of an interesting one. Um, I get so mad at hitting bad shots. Any advice at calming down? Um, <laughs> it, which, you know, that's, it's, it's golf. It's frustrating by nature. Um, it's not a game of, of perfect. And I've hit plenty of, plenty of bad shots. Um, and I used to, I used to have be a little bit of a hothead on the course and, you know, but then I you, you kind of st- take a step back and realize that it is just a game uh, after all. And I think with going in with that mindset um, has really helped uh, help me. I'm not sure if you've had any anger issues on the course, Graylin, but <laughs> I, oh, I haven't seen any when we played. Well, <laughs> yeah. I, fortunately, I, I'm a pretty even keel guy, but I, I think that the the key to having that kind of even keel, good reaction out on the golf course is about the attitude you have entering the round, not necessarily like coping things that you, you know, do during and after a bad shot. So for instance, after a bad shot, instead of kind of taking deep breaths and everything that, that you would think about to kind of calm down, yeah. I, I think that we need to think earlier than that and think about your attitude entering the round and, you know, set your goals. I mean, I, I, we don't know anything about the person who asked the question. You know, I, I'm not sure if they're a plus two handicap, you know, a collegiate golfer who's frustrated or if it's just, you know, like my buddy Bob who, you know, uh, goes out there and wants to shoot 95. But go in and set your goals. And if one of your goals is to um, have a have better reactions when you hit poor shots, set your set that goal to say, okay, I'm going out today and I'm going to try and hit, you know, a handful of really good shots and the others, you know, are going to be great. Uh, but I'm going to do my best to, to kind of zone in and hit a few good ones and not let the bad ones affect me. And then over time, build it out to where most of your shots are those good shots. And there are only a few bad ones and then all of a sudden you'll, you'll really start eliminating, you know, the big numbers and, and the bad shots. But um, I'm not a, a psychologist and, and, and am not a mental coach, but I do think that going in with the right mindset and the right attitude is the best way to approach it as opposed to kind of going in with everything normal and then just getting, you know, frustrated and and pissed off when you hit a bad shot and then just trying to take deep breaths and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I totally agree. The mindset going is, is just as important and kind of sets the tone for the whole round. Um, and uh, also just to kind of, when you hit a bad, like, except you're going to hit bad shots too. Like that's just mm-hmm. every, you know, pros do it. Um, but it's how you react from those. Uh, and if you go in with the right mindset beforehand, I think that's, that's what's important there. Um, and well, you know, like I, like I kind of started this off with, it is just a game after all. And you could be playing for some money or something like that, but in, in the end it's, you know, it's hitting a, it's hitting a ball, uh, around a field essentially. Um, we, which it, we it, remind each other of that all the time, you know, it, yeah. it, this is a game where we're hitting a ball with a stick. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's a, it's a simple, frustrating thing, but I think it's, um, 
it really uh, it, it really shines through um, you know how a person reacts to to life as well. Um, so I think the right mindset and going in with a positive attitude is is the the best way to do it. Uh, and just remind yourself that it's a game. So all right, what's your next question? So jumping now to um, a couple travel related questions. Um, a reader and listener wrote in and said, I have trouble keeping my golf travel bag under 50 pounds. What do you recommend packing? And That's a good one. I, yeah, it's a great question. And obviously a lot of this has to do with destination. Um, right. but, but I'm going to just kind of talk about how I approach packing my golf travel bag. And then Ian, how, how you do as well. Um, so I would say, you know, a normal carry bag, um, a normal, uh, 14 club set. And then I will put a golf towel in there. Um, just kind of everything I need. Um, I'll put a pair of golf shoes in with my golf bag. And, um, I'm trying to think of what else. Occasionally I'll throw in an extra dozen balls if I'm going on a big trip. And occasionally, because I'll often pack my, um, my one checked bag as my golf bag, I'll put like my toiletries bag in there as well because it has liquids in it that I couldn't take in a carry-on. And typically, I'm coming out to around like 38 pounds, something like that. So I, I wonder um, with this question where we're getting from 38 pounds up to 50. <clears throat> and I would probably guess that it's a combination of a couple things. One could be a pretty darn heavy golf travel case in itself. So you're, right. you're starting with a heavy case. And um, people have heard me talk. I, I purchased a Sun Mountain Club Glider Meridian. It, it has that the extra set of wheels that kick out. And a, it's fairly light and, and very easy to use. Um, I know people use and love club gloves as well. Um, but my recommendation would be basically take that travel bag and weigh it. And that will give you a good idea of where you're starting. The other issue is putting a ton of golf balls in, um, you know, things like rain suits don't add much weight. Make sure your golf bag doesn't have things like, um, you know, bottles of water in it, things that you really don't need to be paying to, to fly. But, um, you know, also think about your golf bag. If you're, you know, taking your cart bag somewhere, uh, consider a lighter golf bag as well. But I, I think sometimes we can think so much about what we put in the case or in the bag that you kind of forget, whoa, this case and the bag <laughs> themselves are very heavy. So I, right. Ian, I think when we went to Bandon, your bag was overweight <laughs> or coming back. Did you tell me that or am I making that up in my head? Uh, I, I think, I, I don't know where you're getting that from because it was, mine sits at about 30, 37, 38 pounds as well normally. I don't know what um, I was thinking. I, I just remember being in the Eugene airport at like 5 a.m. and maybe I was delirious and hallucinating. <laughs> um, but it, tell me what you pack in your bag and how you keep it you know, under that threshold for the airlines if you're flying. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I kind of similarly to you, I just, I have my, um, my clubs, uh, a relatively light bag, depending on, um, you know, it's a typical, you know, stand or, or carry bag. Um, so nothing, nothing like not a cart bag or anything like that. Um, you know, 14 clubs, 
Uh, I usually bring a bring a dozen balls just because I, I lose more balls than than you do, Graylin. Um, so I'll bring a dozen anyway, on for even for the smallest trip. Um, golf shoes and then a, a towel or two to kind of wrap my clubs just to make to protect them a little more um, up top. So uh, and that kind of all nets out to to thirty, you know, anywhere in the mid thirties uh, to on the heavier side if I pack an extra pair of shoes or something like that, ever like up to forty pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so where where I've gotten um, and th- this is kind of a, a, a not really you know my my fault, but I was uh, the closest I've been to being overweight was forty nine pounds. Okay. Um, because all my gear was was soaked from the round before. Gotcha. Um, and it, we we didn't have time to air it out. We were staying in an Airbnb, and it was kind of like a, a shared sort of deal um, in a in a city. Um, so I kind of had to pack everything just soaking wet, which was, which was gross when we, when we got back. But, um, but that, that added about, you know, 10 pounds water does add a, a bunch. So if you have, you know, packed down with like water bottles and like stuff like that, that's, that I would say just ditch those and, and get those in the, uh, when you get to your destination. Um, one, then, <clears throat> go ahead. well, one thing that you use that I don't, and I would like to invest in is the, um, I, I don't know what you call it, like a club rod. It, we discussed oh, it in yeah. our How to Pack Your Golf Clubs and How to Fly With Your Golf Clubs episode. Um, but, yeah. but just make a quick mention of that because it's something that I saw you use that, that I would like to use. Yeah, no, so it's um, – I'm actually I'm actually not sure what it's called, uh, but it's basically a little um, – it's a, it's a rod with a little top on it, like a canopy. Um, so it protects it, – it will, it will fit all the clubs underneath. Um, so that will take the brunt of any sort of slamming or anything like that. Or if your clubs um, were dropped on their head, they, that sort right. of thing. Yeah. So as you see a lot of people with broken drivers, the head breaks off because they get slammed around in, in airports. Um, and, uh, and that has really helped me and, and knock on wood, nothing is, nothing is broken yet. Um, and I think it's a lot of it has to do with, with that, uh, that device, um, which is very lightweight too, very strong, rigid, um, and I highly recommend it. So good, good. Okay. Take us on to, to another question. Yeah. So, um, this kind of jumping a little bit, uh, so it's kind of a funny one cause it's been a debate between, uh, my friends and I have one friend who feels very strongly against this. Um, so this is about a tire. Uh, how many logos <laughs> at one time is too many like club, you know, course logos, uh, on your, on your person. Can I double up on one and add another? Um, so I have one friend who's very vehemently against all logos, essentially, um, and he's going to listen to this and, and, and laugh. But I'm a, I'm a big logo guy, but also you can't go overboard with it either. <laughs> um, so I, I would say doubling up would only be clubs that you belong to or have a special relationship to. Um, but I'd say no more than no more than two or three, depending on what you're what you're wearing at, at one time. So um, kind of a funny little uh, funny little question, but. Um, and it's all personal preference too. So it's a great. I mean, how do you feel about it? Because I know you wear not a you're not a huge logo guy. But. No, I t- typically I'll have a hat on. Um, but I yeah. I've, I've been going no logo shirt say for for a long time recently. Ever since I started buying and getting Holderness and porn shirts with yeah. no logos. Yeah. Um, right. But yeah, I, I think uh, I you know it's kind of a way that people signal to other golfers hey i've played cool courses hey i'm you know 
<laughs> not better than you, but you know, it, some people right. kind of use it as a stick that, that they might beat other people with. And I, I think as long as you, if, if you wear comfortable clothes and you enjoy being out on the golf course and then that's fine. If you're trying to be a, a jerk to others and wear your, you know, a, every top logo on one day, then, uh, people might take it the wrong way. You know who you're yeah. playing with, you know what your club is like. So, you know, I, I would say as long as you're comfortable and having fun and you're not trying to put other people down, then wear as many logos as you want. I, I did right. a, a question. How could you yeah. go? Well, no, actually, I know the answer to this. I was going to say, how could you do more than three logos? Because I'm thinking shirt, hat, belt. But I did see, I have started seeing people wearing logoed shorts and pants. Yes, yeah. me, me too. So Me too, which. That, that, that's I, an interesting I, one. I'm not a huge, not a huge fan of those, but it is kind of a more subtle logo. Mm. Um, but, but you know, like four logos is is, is too much for, <laughs> for for one person. You're just at that point a walking billboard, and um, and I, I have kind of toned back the logos for my own personal uh, use just to make sure that I'm not, you know, it, unintentionally putting other people, you know, down and like, hey, I've played these cool places, but it's not my intention at all. But for some people it is. So, yeah, um, well, and, and yeah. for other people, it's just an interesting conversation starter. And they, that's why I right. kind of have trouble, you know, putting anybody down for wearing a bunch of logos because I've had some really interesting conversations with people where they've come up and said, hey, you know, I, I see Biltmore Forest Country Club on your hat. You know, I, have you played there before? And we've ended up being good buddies and that's just my local course here in Asheville. But, you know, same can happen with, uh, I've heard that with Pebble beach where Pebble beach has connected people. And so I, I think it's a fun way to kind of share with others that you're into golf. Um, but yeah, they, there are, <laughs> there are subtle ways to do it and there are yeah. not subtle ways to do it. Yeah. And, and the vast majority of the public won't, won't know but for those few that, that that do they'll either take it as like oh wow like the, you know i've played there too or be like oh this guy's a jerk like <laughs> i I'm, I'm not gonna talk to him like like what a you know what what, what a jerk you know yeah. and it's just like yeah so yeah. it's it's all how you take it but i'd say um it's all personal preference but uh be prepared to either talk about it or get shunned from <laughs> you know like yeah so anyway uh next question on your end okay <clears throat> what is the going rate for tipping a caddy in Scotland and does a four caddy receive the same tip? So yeah. I'm going to just keep this specifically to Scotland. We addressed tipping and caddies um, in our last uh, questions you were embarrassed to ask episode. So um, go back and listen to that. But for this one, generally speaking, the big name courses over in Scotland, so we're talking Carnoustie, St. Andrews, Old Course, um, or really any of the St. Andrews courses, um, Royal Troon, Muirfield, you know, that level course, kind of open Rota courses, you're going to yeah. look at paying about 50 or 55 pounds for a base rate for your caddy. And then typically for a good round, you'll want to tip something around 20 pounds. So a caddy could leave with 70 or 75 pounds. And that's, that's not a bad day. Right. If you, if you had a great experience, then I would tip, on up from there, you know, you could give them 80 or whatever. I mean, I, when I caddied over in Scotland, I um, had a couple big days, you know, where guys had a great time and paid me a hundred pounds for a round or 120 pounds for a round. That wouldn't be the wow. norm. Um, 
I think one guy accidentally gave me an extra 20 once, um, <laughs> but I, I have no proof of that. And I only realized that once I got home, you're um, right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think he intended to, uh-huh. but, yeah, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> but, yeah. um, so at smaller courses, and, you know, we would be talking now about courses like Crail or some other smaller local courses. Those don't have full-time caddy staffs there. Instead, if you request a caddy, they'll typically find an older member or a younger member to kind of show you around the course and take you around. And they will let you know um, what the caddy rate would be. And oftentimes it would be less than that 50 or 55 pounds, maybe think, right. you know, 30, 35 pounds. And I would keep the tip about the same if you've had a good experience. In that last question, as you're embarrassed to ask, our biggest suggestion with tipping and caddies was go in the pro shop and ask what's appropriate and ask what the rate is. Yeah. And even though you might think that it's embarrassing, you save yourself a lot of embarrassment by asking. And I I say the same thing here. Ask the starter. At some of the courses like King's Barnes, the starter will give you a little caddy card with the suggested gratuity and the base rate. Um, So just something to keep in mind there. The second part of that question, does a four caddy receive the same tip? For those that don't know, a four caddy is one caddy that is shared across the whole group. And he doesn't, or he or she does not carry, you know, four bags. Instead, they kind of run ahead. They're looking for um, your drives. They're giving you lines off the tee. And if they can, they're giving everybody a line on the greens, but it's kind of a lower level of service because it's one caddy split across multiple players. Right, yeah. In those cases, um, there's a four caddy base rate, and oftentimes that would be for a foursome 100 pounds. And then I would suggest that each guy toss in an additional 10 pounds or 20 pounds if it was a great round. And right, that yeah. caddy you know, will be leaving happy and likely very tired because they were running all over the course, getting everybody yardages, giving everybody lines, giving everybody reads on the greens. So they earn it. Um, So a four caddy does kind of receive the same tip on the individual level, but when all four players add it up, yeah, they're getting a bigger tip and and they've put in quite a bit of work. Yeah, exactly. Um, I actually have a, have a question that kind of piggybacks off that. Uh, if you want to jump to jump to that one. Too. Yeah, let's do it. Um, <clears throat> so how much do you tip a bad caddy? So like, <laughs> yeah. a, like one that's one that's, you know, just, uh, just not good. Um, so that's kind of an awkward, you know, dance. Yeah. Cause you have to, it really depends on the, on the course or the club or resort. Um, but, uh, they typically have a base rate and I mean, do you tip, do you tip nothing? Do you tip very little and just kind of make your point? Or I mean, yeah. how would you go about handling that? Boy, that's tough. You know, Yeah. I, I think it depends on the situation. If you're at a private club, then I would say um, consider the member in it. I mean, consider that the member might be um, embarrassed if you don't tip your caddy. So I would suggest definitely at a private club, use your judgment, but probably tip your caddy. Um, outside of that, at a resort, you kind of have your own judgment, your own discretion there. So I would say, uh, at a resort, consider tipping less than the recommended gratuity that sends a a message, 
um, I certainly wouldn't give a good tip because that reinforces those bad behaviors. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. Um, but yeah, that's a, it's, it's an awkward, anything tipping that's kind of, kind of what we addressed in the last, uh, you know, questions you're embarrassed to ask with the whole tipping thing. It's, it's an awkward song and dance a lot of, a lot of times. Um, but, uh, I think, yeah, add in the, add in the fact with a, with a bad caddy. Um, and that kind of even complicates it and makes it even more awkward. Um, it but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I think, I think you're spot on with, with the private club. You have to consider the member, um, and their, kind of above their status all else. and yeah, yeah at, always at a, at a private club. Um, but at, at the resort, I, I totally agree, you know, make your, make your point, um, and don't reinforce those, those bad habits. A, so a quick little anecdote, a, I was over in Scotland with friends last summer and my friends, uh, took caddies on the old course and, um, Two caddies were great. One caddy was stellar, and one caddy was um, <laughs> almost just looked like he had zero interest in being there and kind <laughs> of uh, caddied as if he had zero interest in being there. So right. one of the one of the things that they did, I think, you know, that fifty pound base rate, the stellar caddy got eighty pounds, the the good caddy got seventy, and the bad caddy got sixty. And, okay. you know, if you got 60 pounds over there, it was a little bit of a clear signal that today could have been better. <laughs> you know, I, I yeah, guess yeah, that would right. be another way to put it. Um, right, yeah. So, you know, use your judgment, but th that kind of has always been the way I've looked at it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to look at it for sure. Um, all right, you have, we have one more and I have one more, is that right? Yep. Or, yep. Okay, I, and so I'll, I'll end it with mine. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, because I, I know what this one is and it's, <laughs> it's hysterical. Um, so kind of, kind of similarly to the, uh, to the bad caddy, um, how do you still enjoy a round at a top-notch private club if your host, who was set up through a friend of a friend, is an absolute jerk? <laughs> so... I, I've, I've kind tough. of come across this but before. Um, right. They, there have been a handful of rounds that friends of friends, you know, a friend set up through a friend of a friend and, you know, obviously won't name the course or, or the names, but, um, of course, yeah. you know, admittedly, it kind of ruined my day at a top level course and I regret it to this day. I, and I, what I regret is letting it ruin my day. Um, right, yeah. You know, not regret, you know, taking the opportunity to go play. But what I would say is do your best, and th th this is obvious advice, but do your best to separate your experience at the course from your experience with that host. It can be yeah. difficult to separate those things out, but to the best of your ability, you know, focus in on the course and try and kind of unplug from whatever shenanigans is happening with the guy who's a jerk. Um, yeah. Have you run into anything like that, Ian? Or if you did, how would you handle it? No, no, I, I haven't. I've been, I've been fortunate to not really run into that. Um, some guys have been kind of standoffish, but not anything, you know, not an absolute you know jerk. But if I, if I can, did come across it, which I'm sure I will down the road, um, I would, especially at a private club, you're likely in a foursome um, you know, of, of buddies or, or whatever, and you'll likely have caddies. So I would say be cordial and, and, you know, thankful to the, to the host member, but I'd also kind of try to forge a relationship with someone else and, and spend your time talking to them that you, 
um, that you would otherwise spend talking to your host. So like a, like a talkative caddy or, um, you know, find a, find a connection there and, and really, um, really kind of bond with them at, but while still being cordial enough to your, to your host member. I'm not sure if that's, it's, and obviously separate, you know, the experience from the, from the course itself and being able to play these, you know, top level private clubs. Uh, I'm not sure if that's, that's, uh, you know, again, this might change, um, because I haven't run into this, but I, I would think that would be a good way to look at it, but, um, maybe I'm, maybe I'm off there. <laughs> no, no, I, I think that's a perfectly reasonable way to look at it. And I, I think you just, you have to remember at the end of the day, yes, the guy's a jerk. He's hosting you. So be cordial. Um, oh, yeah. and do your darndest not to, to let it ruin your day as I did. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, hopefully you get back to that course and, and, uh, and see, but, uh, hopefully but yeah. one day. So one day. I'm going to end with a question <laughs> that we won't answer. Um, but I, I'll, I'll just read it. I'm a medical marijuana patient in Oregon. I don't intend on traveling with anything as in any marijuana, um, and that this person is going to Scotland, how difficult a task will it be to find some marijuana? Uh, we're staying in St. Andrews next to the Dunvegan. Dot, dot, dot. So, so what you do is you take a left out of the Dunvegan, and then you go, you go down. <laughs> I, my recommendation would be to just start yelling at the top of your lungs, does anyone have any? <laughs> no, I, I, I'm joking. I, I, don't think yeah. we, I don't think we can answer that one. I, I think, no, no, I think it, if not. we, well... I also can't really answer that one because I don't have an answer. I don't really know where you would go. But I would suggest in all cases, if you're ever traveling anywhere, know the local laws and know what will get you in major trouble and what won't get you in major trouble. Um, And and I, I mean, even drinking in some countries. But if you've ever seen Locked Up Abroad on TV it will show you just how badly things like having illicit drugs in other countries can go. And I I think in, in no instances would we kind of encourage or even approve of the use of illegal drugs, but um, something that's legal in Oregon can get you locked up for a long time in another country. And I don't think that the person asking this question you know, meant this in the most literal sense or, um, even, you know, meant for, uh, for us to answer it, but just a a heads up that you can be in major, major trouble locked up in a different country. And then you're dealing with extradition and (laughs) a lot of crazy things. I could tell some stories, uh, from my college days at the university of St. Andrews where, um, international students got in trouble for illegal activities and then it is a major major cost and expense with lawyers and everything to to get back to the states and deal with court systems and that's a lot more than this guy probably wanted to know but um (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's like yeah it's marijuana it's like no locked up abroad locked up abroad (laughs) yes yeah no it's (laughs) trafficking Hundreds of pounds of uh, cocaine <laughs> yeah. from Colombia or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Slightly yeah. different than medical marijuana, but slightly. Yeah. Um, just be careful. And uh, with that, <laughs> I think we'll wrap up these questions. Uh, I, I think that's a good way to good way to end it um, on kind of a dot 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 <laughs> <laughs> dot 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 exactly. Yeah. Well, oh, a, again, we want to hear 
these questions from you guys and, and we'll continue to do these episodes. You know, we're a golf travel podcast, but as you heard today, we will address kind of whatever comes up um, as long as it's within the, the scope of golf and, and the game. So and, and legality and, and legality, we, we will not uh, be able to recommend um, places to buy illegal substances. Um, but um, reach out to us. We're at Links Magazine everywhere. Um, like I said earlier in the show, it, that's on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or send us an email to letters at linksmagazine.com. We answer everything that comes in um, and, and we get on it really quickly. So know that you have that option. If you like our content, visit us at linksmagazine.com. From there, you can sign up to receive our digital magazine. That's Links Digital, and you can sign up at the top right section of the site. You can also subscribe to the print magazine, and you do that in the same position, top right on the site. Um, and you can get our newsletter and uh, get a lot more links than, than links content than we provide just through this podcast. But um, Ian, I know that we've got uh, some more exciting episodes coming up this season. And yep. with that, I, I think we'll wrap this one up. Sounds good. Always a pleasure. Sounds good. Have a good day. You too, buddy.